So good to be back here. What a joy. Uh, those early days, I had black hair. <laughs> and uh, I praise God that um, I can always come back. I always enjoy coming here. It's a, it's a nice it's a nice trip. Uh, Gail's sister lives over in Dalton, Pennsylvania, just outside of uh, Clark Summit. And yesterday, I drove up and spent several hours with she and her husband. And they were very thankful for uh, the fact that I could work that in. She said, Steve, when you come to a church in the area, will you, will you stop by and see us? So, I mean, Mansfield, Covington area is not that far, two-hour drive. So I drove up from the Baltimore area yesterday, spent several hours with her. We cried, we laughed, we, we spoke. And, um, and, uh, and so uh, that was a, a joyful time. And I thank Pastor and Rachel for letting me interact with their kids last night, Timothy and Isaac and Julia. Um, we had a fun time. They had a lot of questions for missionary. So it was good to be there with them and answer their questions, right? Because, you know, the mission hasn't stopped. The Great Commission is not over, right? And um, we want to instill in young people the great privilege it is to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen? It's exciting to be where God wants you to be. And listen, going over there doesn't make you a missionary. I mean, it's just being a gospel witness wherever the Lord has planted you. And right here in your community, in a city like Baltimore, I they think has one of the highest crime rates in the nation. They need witnesses, right? Well, this morning, to I just want to unpack a little bit of this passage we read this morning, Acts 1.8. What does it teach? What does this passage teach us? And, you know, as it was read this morning, and, you know, if you do a Google search, if you do a Google search, a lot of times on, on a biblical passage, you'll get what a lot of pastors and commentators and, you know, you'll come up with Bible Gateway and, and Bible Hub and all these things. You, you'll come up with those things. It's great. But a lot of times you'll see on this passage, where is your Jerusalem? Where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? And that becomes a theme. And that's a great application to the passage. It's a great application to Acts 1.8. Where is it that God has placed us? And how should we operate? How should we be in that community? I want to take a few minutes and just kind of unpack this. I find Luke opening this book, speaking to Theophilus, trying to bring him up to speed on what it is God in Christ asked the apostles to do and what they accomplished and how they did it. And, um, you know, I look at Acts 1.8, and we know this. Have you ever noticed it begins with but? But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses. 
Uh, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, one thing I, I find interesting as you, as you read that, just prior to that but, in verse 4, um, we find that, or not verse 4, but verse 6, they had seen Jesus, they'd been with him for 40 days, and listen to the question that comes out of their mouth. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I'm thinking, where have thy, these guys been? You know, they've been with him three and a half years. They've been with him for 40 days. He's showing them the, the scars of the gospel in his body. And they come up with a question like this. It's like they were unteachable. Or they had a, a preconceived idea of the way things were going to go. And so they asked this question. Now, Pastor, I know you don't have this problem where you preach a message and people are lost with what you're preaching. That never happens with you, I know. <laughs> or a Sunday school teacher. You teach a lesson and, and you're... The people in your class just are lost. Well, I find, as I read this, that these guys are literally lost. I mean, they are, uh, they, they are not oriented in, in the same vision that Christ has given them. Because they're asking for something that was going to be in, in the future to be now. Will you at this time restore to Israel your kingdom? And so I look at that and I think, okay, so the Lord had to do some correcting, readjustment, very gently. He did that. And, you know, it, it is amazing uh, his answer to this. It's amazing his answer to this. And he says, Verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. So, here we find, and I find it, as introducing a, what's going to be a, a prophetical announcement. God has not said when that will be. It is in his power, it's in his time frame, it is in his program. Don't worry about that, in other words. Don't worry about the kingdom coming to Israel. And then we have the word that we so often gloss over when, when we read this passage. But, but, and verse 8 is a, a multidimensional prophecy that Jesus is giving to them. But, don't worry about what the Father has in store, but this is what is here for you here and now. Not the kingdom, but being my witnesses. And as I look at this, Jesus really does use a, a technique that many of the prophets used. He gave them a prophecy, and I look at Acts 1.8 as a promise, bien sûr, that's French. Uh, a, prom a promise, sure. But it's also and it has an, a prophetical aspect to it. Wait here 
for the Spirit's coming. Wait here until you see that happen. And when you look at prophecies that have, are multidimensional and, and have different uh, phrases to them, oftentimes there is what we see in, in studying prophecy, the mountain peaks. The prophets would look into the future. They give a prophecy in the future. They would see one aspect of that prophecy, and then in the far distance, they would see the second aspect of that prophecy. Let me give you an example. Turn with me back to Isaiah. Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, many, many prophecies. The great Christmas prophecies. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and ye shall call his name Emmanuel. They were aware, the prophecy was given, that a virgin would give a son. And if we look over to ch just one chapter over, into chapter 9 and verse 6, the second of those great uh, prophecies, and for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That kind of piggybacks on Isaiah 7, 14. The child is born, the son is given. But as you continue reading chapter 6, 9, 6, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. When did that happen? Hasn't happened yet. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the, ever, the, the, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So what we see in these prophecies, we see the coming of Christ. We see his birth, but we don't see his kingdom. And they saw this in a matter of a few words. A few words. So there's this first peak of one aspect of the prophecy being fulfilled. And then there is a future peak that will be fulfilled. And you can scour the prophecies of the Old Testament and you will see that many, many times where one aspect is given and then sometime in the future there will be another aspect. So when I look at Acts 1a, I see the prophecy. And the first aspect of that prophecy, and here's, here's the thing. If they saw the first thing come true, then they could bank on the second thing coming true. They could bank on that. They could expect that. And so Jesus gives them a, a prophetical word, I, I would say, because it, they're looking at something completely opposite of what he's looking at. And he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Ye shall receive power. That's the first aspect. And of course, this is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Ten days later, he was with them for 40 days. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost, we won't take the time to read that, but the Spirit of God come, he empowered them, they were able to speak in uh, the other languages, and the, the church was born. That's the first aspect of that prophecy. So once they knew the first aspect happened, they could count on 
doing and seeing the second aspect. And so he, he, um, he, he manifested that. He showed them that. And they were just to wait. They were just to wait. I'd just like to underline the fact that the ministry of witnessing is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaac was telling me in the car last night while we were coming back from pastor's house over the motel how he was trying to witness to a little friend. And they got in, he got interrupted in that witness. Doesn't that happen a lot? You know, you try to share the gospel with someone and there's an interruption. Pastor was asking me, how is it in the Ivory Coast? Well, if you encounter someone and you have time to talk with them, they have time to listen. That's an amazing thing. If I stop somebody, most people, and I engage them in a conversation and bring about the gospel, they will stop and they will listen. That's not our case in our culture here. But that happened to be the case in that culture there. But salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes through the working of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, the presentation of the crucified and resurrected Christ. Salvation comes through that. It's not my ability to convince somebody. It's not my ability to, uh, you know, flood them with great illustrations that does the salvation work. It is the Holy Spirit using us to do, we the mediocre being used to do eternal things, miraculous things. Salvation is a miracle. And so God uses the likes of you and me in this process to be that witness to share that gospel, to share the word of God. And somehow, some way, through all my stumbling through it, he brings people to himself. Amen? That is not something I can take credit for. It is the Holy Spirit. And so we must ask ourselves as believers, how am I... How is my relationship with the Spirit of God? Is He controlling my life? Am I Spirit-filled? Do I allow Him to use me? It is the Holy Spirit. It's not us. Amen? It's not me. It's not the ability to proclaim. It's the ability to be under the control of the Spirit of God and letting Him do the work. And if you see a little later as I'm sharing some um, PowerPoints and talking about ministry, Gail and I always said, it's not us. We just wanted to be obedient to Christ. It's not us. The fact that people uh, can accept Christ, it's not us. We just need to be there and let the Spirit of God work through us. Amen? Amen. And so, this is the first aspect of what I would call a prophecy. The first mountain peak was the coming of the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Spirit, uh, the, this thing that um, they had never experienced, but it was coming. So that was, the, to me, the first aspect, and that's what tra transformed their lives. But since the first part happened, then they could expect the second part to happen. And what is the second part of Acts 1.8? He said... 
But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now Luke, I mean, if you're a, if you're a writer, Luke, he got the whole outline of the book of Acts right in that verse. Because if we know the book of Acts, that's exactly what he did. He outlined how the gospel started in Jerusalem, how it extended up into Samaria and Galilee, how it continued over into Asia and into the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he did. That's what he explained. All the way to Rome, he explained it. So he was given the outline in that one verse. And Luke was quite intelligent, I know, but um, he used what the Lord gave him. He used that outline. One thing I want you to concentrate on here is the places. We know we're to be witnesses unto Christ, but he says, in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, as we look at this, it clearly divides up the, the, the book of Acts. And we can analyze this. Jerusalem was the political, the religious, uh, the social hub of Israel. Samaria was like the outcast. You don't go to Samaria. Judea was, you know, great place to live, the suburbs of Jerusalem, right? Great place to live. And then, of course, unto the othermost parts of the earth. And we can analyze, you know, the socio-economic, cultural dynamics of those places. But I want you to see one thing apart from all that. What Jesus was telling them is, guys, you, the 11 apostles, you are going to have to move from this place. That's right. That prescription meant you as my anointed ones, you as my chosen ones, you are not going to rest here in cushy Jerusalem and try to do to the end of the earth ministry. It involves movement. It, 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 it involves transportation. It involves leaving here to go there. And that's what I see when I see, when I read of these places. Yes, I've studied these places and, and understand the impact of them on them socially. But for them as individuals, it meant get up and move. Be ready to move. Be ready to move. Are we ready to move? Are we ready to move? As believers, as those who hold the gospel, as those who have Bibles, who are educated in the gospel of Christ, are we ready to move? Are we ready to move to our neighbor? Are we ready to move to our coworker? Are we ready to move to someone we don't even know? Are we ready to move? There's the question. The gospel and this plan of missions involves movement. Am I ready to move just on 
the most simple terms of taking the gospel to someone. I mean, I do not believe Gail and I would have been called to Africa if we weren't moving and doing something here in the United States. I, I don't believe that. Um, and so, I think we need to ask ourselves, this is, a, this is a question of our will. This is a question of our goals. This is a question of our intention of our lives. Are we ready to move? Missions involves movement. Witnessing involves movement. We can't expect people to come to us. You know, Pastor and I were talking, people are too occupied with so many things to come to us. I mean, we can create neat opportunities to have them come to the church, and that's, that's always an advantage to plant a seed. But by and large, most people are saved. Most people in, in this day and age are us going to them and, and having a gospel conversation. Are we ready to move? Well, that's what I see when I look at this. Now, you know, he gives them the commission. He, and then he leaves them. Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Can you imagine, after receiving this package, this prophecy, Jesus is gone. I thought about that. Think about the three and a half years that they were with Jesus. I mean, it was exciting. It was abundant that Christ was being used. They saw the miracles. They heard the teaching. They saw the opposition. They were there by his side. They had the comfort of knowing that the Savior was with them. They were on his team. He was their coach. Uh, there was unity and to a certain degree. Uh, they still had a hard time understanding the experience with Christ, it was fantastic and abundant. He's gone. I, I begin to think of how they must have felt at that very moment without Jesus Christ. Lacking, emptiness, disillusioned, um, questioning. Had they gone down a, a road that <laughs> led them to this? Their Savior left them? You know? I think about that feeling when you, when you, you know, you follow the Lord, and then, and, and then it seems like, it seems like you're at a point where you're at an impasse. Have you ever felt that way in your Christian life? You're, you feel like you're at an impasse? My, Gail and I, our first term in Africa, we were headed, by the way, to Liberia, West Africa. We were not headed to the Ivory Coast. Liberia was an English-speaking country. My attitude was, why suffer myself with another language? There's plenty of places around the world where English is spoken. And we ended up in the Ivory Coast, which is a Francophone country. 
didn't speak a lick of, uh, of uh, French. Never. I was in Votech, you know. In Votech, you don't have to take languages in high school. <laughs> I never studied a language in my lifetime. And here I am planted in a country where I do not speak their language. And to top all that off, all the veteran missionaries were there, but they weren't in Liberia either. That's where we were all headed. And one by one, these veterans left. The old-time veterans, they left the field. And then the younger veterans that were more of our age, one by one, they started leaving the field. And here, Gail and I are, the new guys, the newbies, with one other couple, couple who was also a new couple, we were left. I mean, all these experienced veterans who took us there, left. There was emptiness, folks. And we were at a place, Tulepleur, those who were around. I can tell you this, it had to be at the end of the known world, okay? You drive about seven hours on paved road and another hour, hour and a half on dirt road to this village that has nothing but jungle all around it. No telephone, none. If I needed to communicate with the outside world, I had to, why well, I was a ham radio operator, but had to drive some distance to get a, make a phone call, a couple hour drive. I get the feeling and it was, um, when, when these veterans left, there was, a, there was a sort of emptiness. And it was during that time, those who, who were around, you might remember, Gail came down with Bell's palsy. We didn't know what was going on with her. She woke up one day, the right side of her face, the eye was drooping, the lip was drooping, and we had no idea what happened. No communication, and there we were. But you know what? We knew that God had moved us to that place. Amen? And because we knew that God had moved us to that place, we knew we could have confidence in him. For me, when I read the, of these places in Acts 1.8, it, it reminds me that missions involves moving. There was the announcement this morning of some hands helping a brother who's going to leave the area and move back to uh, where, Boston area. Think of the energy that that takes. The energy. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes determination. And that's what missions involves. It takes being willing to say the goodbyes and then some other place saying hellos. It takes being able, being willing for the gospel's sake to lay yourself down for the sake of the gospel. And all of it is good. All this, all this effort of moving to different places, it's not because, you know, I want to see another tropical place or I want to climb a certain mountain or another experience. The bottom line is that witness for Jesus Christ in the gospel. Folks, it takes effort. 
I mean, I remember Gail and I had our house in Hanover, Pennsylvania. We had to pack it up and put it in a 22-foot container and ship it. Effort, energy. That's what I want you to see this morning. The gospel and missions and witnessing and reaching out, it takes people like you and me willing to be energetic and give of our strength and do it. And that's what Jesus was asking of them. The kingdom is not coming at this point. The Father knows when the kingdom is coming. But that is not your concern right now. Your concern is to wait for the Holy Spirit, be empowered of the Holy Spirit, and be willing to go and be my witnesses in these places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the othermost parts of the earth. Be willing to expend your energy. Be willing to give of yourself. Be willing to say your goodbyes and say your hellos. A few weeks ago, just to conclude here, as Pastor mentioned, you know I, I've served now 30 years on the field um, and the Ivory Coast. And Gail and I knew that one day we would be stepping away. We knew that one day we would be saying goodbye. And that's a, that's a, um, that's a time it's important to prepare for. It's, it's important to prepare the people for that. And we in our hearts need to make sure that it is what God wants us to do at that period in our lives. And just at the end of February, I had a, like an Apostle Paul experience where I called the believers together, the pastors, the churches that were in our city of San Pedro, people I worked with, and I wanted to tell them goodbye. It reminded me of Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul was saying his goodbyes. He was headed to Jerusalem. And as he was passing through Ephesus, he wanted to see those elders. Hellos and goodbyes. Missions involves that. Listen as I read this. For Paul, verse... Acts chapter 20, verse, uh, verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he set to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Verse eight, 18. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all, at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying of weight of the Jews, and how I kept nothing that was profitable I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying 
both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, And now, and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. He said a goodbye. This was a church. They had elders. They had members. He said a goodbye. It was an emotional time there for him to pass there and tell these people goodbye, these leaders. Just jump down to verse 36 in the same context. He said this. Luke, Luke records, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Folks, that's, that's those hellos and those goodbyes and missions. I love, and Gail and I loved, going to the Ivory Coast. We have family there. We have a Christian family. We have people who never knew Christ. Now they're leaders. We have people who we led to Christ. Now they're pastors and pastors' wives. A month ago when I read this passage to Pastor Emmanuel, he accepted Christ in my house. He's the leader of our Bible Institute now, the director. And when I read this passage to them, he said, today, we are living this reality. Imagine if Gail and I had said, we're not going. It's too, mar- too much work. It's too much energy. It's too much to give. We're not going. Imagine if we had said that we would have never known the expanse of the gospel in that country, in that place. So folks, I know sometimes you hear missionaries speak about going and, 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 you know, it's hard to understand. We have to count that the Spirit of God will lead us, He will direct us, He will use us, and the gospel will be planted in a place. I don't know how many people have accepted Christ in that place over the years. have no idea. I didn't keep any books. But this thing I do know. From our city of San Pedro, they are reaching their Jerusalem. They are reaching their Judea. Churches are being planted in other regions. You know... It is exciting to me that my wife and myself, we said, we will go, we will do this, and we see what Christ is doing. I want to challenge you. If you're here in this church for any number of years, I know you know the gospel. You know the gospel. My challenge to you is right here and right this, at this place, as I developed Acts 1.8, Be willing to move. 
Are we willing to move? Are we willing to give up our time and energy for the sake of the gospel? And that's my challenge today. That's my challenge to you today. You do not know unless you move out what God will do through you. And I already told you, I was in Votech in high school, so I was, I mean, I can say this, I'm not the most intelligent guy. But I always wanted to be surrendered. God can do great things through the, the young people of this church, through the young couples of this church, if we are willing to expend the energy and do what Christ has said, move out.